Good morning. Hope you guys are good. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, excited to be here with you. Uh, missed you last week. I was over in Vidalia filling in for Billy as he was in Athens at the Connection Church up there. And um, it was really cool to go see Vidalia and see what God's doing there. Uh, such a great group of people, great team, uh, not just staff, but volunteers um, who are doing a great work over there. Um, God's really working through them. And so it was exciting to see that and be able to be a part of one of their services again it's been a while since i've been over there um, so it's good to get back uh, and so i really appreciate billy and his leadership and what god's doing in and through him and and all those there so as john said we're going to continue this series called different by design uh, today uh, we're actually going to look at manhood what does it look like to be a godly man what does it look like um, to fulfill God's design for us as men. Um, for uh, everyone in the room, uh, some, a lot of this will apply to, to men and women, but specifically to men uh, this morning. And, and really wanna look at this because it's challenging. It's challenging to live out God's design as a man. It's challenging to live out God's design as a woman. It's just challenging in general. Um, and so we're going to be looking at this today. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles. This won't be on the screen, but um, turn in your Bibles. Just one verse, one verse today that I want to read. And we'll look at some others as we go through. But one verse, Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 5. And he's talking about all of these things that we've heard in, um, in the world, that, that culture had had become uh, for the, the Jewish people, that things that they had, had sort of shaped and molded themselves. And as you go through chapter five and chapter six, um, you'll see where Jesus says a lot of times, do not think for truly I tell you. And what he's doing is he's trying to give them a second thought to correct um, an incorrect first thought. And so this is where he's working and doing this. And he comes to verse 43 and 44 um, and he's talking about loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. He says, but truly I tell you, you should love your neighbor and your enemy. So what good is it if you can love those who love you? Does that make you any different? And then we come to this one verse as he gets to the end of that. And it's a really troubling verse um, as you look at it. It says in verse 48, and we read this and then we'll pray. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word. God, I thank you that you're working. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, God, you're working. And we thank you for that, Lord. God, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that it brings life. Lord, we know that the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And that life is found in Jesus. I pray this morning that we would fix our eyes upon him. That we would run to him. And, and experience, God, that life that he gives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So right when I graduated from college, I went to work for a company here in town and my, man, my major was actually construction management. And so I'm sitting around a table with a group of men. I'm just as green as I can be 
Um, not done a whole lot in construction before, just a little bit during the summers. And so I'm sitting around a table with all these, these grown men, many of them who'd been in uh, construction for you know, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, and so we're sitting around, these guys know their stuff, they're, they're these tough men, you know, and we're sitting around the table and the owner of the company um, is talking and he's kind of getting on to them um, about not following through on some things they were supposed to follow through on. And then all of a sudden he looks at me and he says, Brandon, what is the definition of follow through? And with all these guys sitting around looking at me, I could not say a word. Like I was just all of a sudden, I was like, and nothing would come out, right? It was like really intimidating. Um, and, and I finally just came up with some definition. I don't even remember what I said, but I did come up with some definition of follow through um, that I told them at that point. Now, the thing I think about with that is um, it was really hard for me to give a definition of that in that moment. Um, and here's the thing, when it comes to biblical manhood, when it comes to being a man, the world wants to define that for us. It wants to give us its own understanding of what a man is, even though now in many places they can't give you a definition of what a man or a woman is, which is really bizarre. But culture around us wants to define what a man is. It wants to tell us what a man is. And that's why in Romans 12, it tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's telling us, don't conform to the pattern of manhood or womanhood or just living your life. Don't conform to that pattern that you see in the world because not much of what's in the world lines up with God's design. And so when we look at this today, I want us to understand that God is the one who defines manhood. Culture gives us its own version of manhood, but very little of it lines up with God's design. When we look at this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And men understand this. Here lies the problem, right? Here lies the problem for us. We are not perfect. I know your wives, your wives just went like, what? He's not perfect, right? But we're not perfect. And here's the trouble with that is we know it. We know we're not perfect even though we don't want to show we're not perfect. We don't want to be men who are fearful. But men, if we're honest, fear is a part of our life in some way, shape, or form. Why do so many men, if we don't have any fear or anxiety, why do so many men on Sunday, you start getting that, sinking or sick feeling in your stomach because of what you're thinking you've got to face the next week at work? Why do we lay awake at night thinking about problems that we're facing if we have no fear of what's to come? We aren't perfect in that. We're not perfect 
in the attitudes of our heart. We struggle. We battle those things. There are appetites in our flesh that are sinful. And we battle those things. There's issues with us that keep us from leading well. We know we're called to lead, but there's this challenge in us that, that is hard to lead. And sometimes we know we're leading to the wrong place. And that's really difficult. We know that as men and Christian men, we're supposed to be the spiritual leader of our home. But men, have we stepped into that role? We know that we're supposed to be gritty and to persevere. But how many times do you wanna just quit? We're called to be a warrior. We're called to have thick skin that nothing phases us. And then we're also supposed to be caring and compassionate. How do those two go hand in hand? How do you carry that out? How do you become so thick skinned that you can carry out the mission of Jesus, be fearless, and yet still be so soft hearted, right? How are we supposed to do that? How can we live a repentant life when we're scared of vulnerability? How do we bridle those fleshly appetites that sometimes rage inside of us? When we look at our sin and the collateral damage that it has caused, how do we begin to gather the pieces and rebuild what's been torn down? It's challenging. It's challenging. And it's not easy. And Jesus in this said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And here's the thing, you and I aren't. And guilt and shame and condemnation has a tendency to wreck our lives, to keep us from fulfilling the purpose and the potential that God has given us as men. Most, most uh, messages I hear on manhood is just yelling at men. It's just yelling at men. But here's the challenge. It may motivate you for a season, but it's not gonna change you forever. Because for many of us, the issue is not desire. The issue is ability. The issue is we can't do it. We know we're called to get in the fight, right? Get in the fight and live like Christ but sometimes you just get tired of fighting. Sometimes you just wanna throw in the towel and say, what's the point? What's the use? 
We know these things inside of us that aren't right. We know the things we've done in the world that aren't right. And we have this enemy who is an accuser who begins to speak to us in our mind and, and begins to tell us that that's what defines us. And if that is who we are, then that's how we're going to live. But we've got to realize that there's a greater truth. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, men, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, verse 23, and you read that, what you see is as God was creating things, he comes through and, and he gives man the authority to name the animals. And then he realizes that man is not okay without a helper, thank God, right? And so he creates the woman. And then the man names the woman. And what this signifies is authority. It signifies authority, that the man was put there to have authority in that relationship. But here's the thing I want you to understand, because we kind of, don't you kind of like pinch the seat a little bit when you hear somebody say that? Especially in the world today, like you kind of get nervous. But understand this, guys, and here's an area that we falter. Authority brings great responsibility. It, it gives us great responsibility as shepherds to lead and care and protect, not to bully or dominate or leave someone vulnerable, which is what Adam did with Eve. We're called to lead, to care, to protect, to be a shepherd to those whom God has entrusted to us, not to bully through intimidation those who we perceive as vulnerable. We're not called to exchange our God-given authority for some perverted version of tyranny. But in our workplace and in our families, Many times it's easy to falter towards that. If you go to Joshua chapter four, you see this great picture of leadership. You see where Joshua is leading these Israelites and they're about to go into the promised land, this land that God had told them would be theirs many years before. Moses didn't go in because of disobedience, but Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies who came back from the land and said, we can take the land, they're about to go in. And in Joshua 4, four through seven, Joshua calls all of the people together um, from the 12 tribes. And he appointed men from the Israelites, one from each tribe. In verse five, it says, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before 
the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. What incredible leadership. How much influence do you have to have with the people you're leading to get them to walk out into a raging river because of a promise that when you step into that river, it's going to part. And the water flowing downstream is going to stop. And you're going to walk across on dry ground. And then he tells them this. He says, go into the river and get these 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel and come and set them up. He says, and these are going to be a memorial, a memorial stone for your families. So when we ask about this, you're going to be able to say the Lord did this. He delivered us and brought us into his promise. And men, this is what we're called to do. To lead our families, to lead those we have influence with into God's promises. And for them to see God's faithfulness. And for those times when God is faithful to become memorial stones that our families can look at and say, God did this. The challenge for us is how many of us are leaving these memorials that point to the reality of who God is? Are we leading in such a way that our families, that those around us, those we have influence with, cannot deny the reality of God. The challenge is to be perfect, even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Can we lead that way? In Joshua chapter 14, we come to a man by the name of Caleb. I, I love this. Again, he was one of the spies who was going into the promised land. He was one of the ones who said, yeah, we can do this. Let's take the promised land. The other 10 said, no, there's no way we can do it. And now they've taken the land. And this is what it says about Caleb and Joshua 14, 6, it says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, came to him. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved out in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle 
now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day that you yourselves heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Love this passage. Here's this man who's 85 years old and clinging to a promise that was given to him 45 years earlier. And it's amazing to see that once they inherit this land, Caleb goes and he remembers this promise and he tells Joshua, give me my land. How amazing to see the perseverance, to see him finish well. How gritty is he? And one of the key things for us men is, is grit. We can think we're tough, right? We're tough, we can endure, we can do whatever. And then last week, I got these two splits in my thumb. Right there. It hurt. Every time I put my hand in my pocket, it reminded me that I'm not that tough. And yet this is what we're called to do and to be, is to be gritty, to persevere, to finish well. We go to Judges chapter six and we find Gideon. Gideon is this man who is fearful of the Midianites. They're coming in and ravaging the land. An angel of the Lord appears to him and says, behold, mighty warrior. And Gideon doesn't see himself this way. He sees him as just a weakling who's from the weakest clan. And yet God turns him into a warrior. You go to David and you see the heart of David is for God, but he made so many mistakes. He had an affair. He was an adulterer, a murderer. And we come to Psalm 51 and we see where David in repentance is crying his heart out. Lord, renew a right spirit in me. Make me clean and I will be clean. But above all, Lord, don't cast me away from your presence. We come to Samson, this man who had a special anointing on his life. But there were some appetites in him that derailed his life. began to have a relationship with Delilah. And because of this unhealthy appetite, she finally figures out where his strength comes from. His hair was to never be cut. And yet she came in and cut his hair. And his power left him. And that seems maybe like an odd story, but let me ask you this question, men. How many times do our unbridled appetites cost us the power and purpose of God in our life? We see Nehemiah, man who had been taken captive, 
because of the Israelites' disobedience. He gets word that, that the, the, the Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is, is in shambles. And God moves in his heart and he begins to fast and pray and weep over Jerusalem. And finally, the king asks him what's wrong. He tells him and he actually empowers him to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the city. But it wasn't just a rebuilding of walls. He and another man named Ezra also caused this spiritual revival to take place. And men, we're called to be rebuilders. We're called to be revivers. But how many times do we forfeit those roles and responsibilities? How much guilt and shame do we live in? Because we know this. How many hobbies, how much alcohol, how much pornography does it take to get rid of that sin and shame and guilt? We come to this place when we read a passage like Matthew 5:48, where it brings us to this point of hopelessness. When we look and we see our failures, it just compounds the hopelessness. Because we know we're not perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We know that many of the accusations that can be made about us are in some ways accurate. So what do we do? How does this happen? When we look at God giving us authority and calling us to lead and telling us to be gritty and to persevere and to finish well, when we see that we're called to be warriors and yet still somehow be tender-hearted, thick-skinned to stay in the game, but tender-hearted to keep being compassionate and loving, when we see this heart of repentance, when we see vulnerability, how do we become vulnerable when we know that if we really stick out the withered hand and not the good hand, somebody's going to judge us? How do we bridle appetites that we know will destroy us? How do we begin to rebuild the things that have been torn down, things that have been neglected? Believe this, the first one is to realize that with every one of these things that these men eventually excelled in, Jesus perfected. With every one of these things that these men did, whether it was leading, whether it was being gritty and persevering and pushing through and finishing well, the world tells us to avoid all adversity, and yet Jesus embraced adversity. Isaiah 50 verse 7 prophesied about 900 years before Jesus that he would set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Luke 9 51 says he set his face toward Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be crucified, and yet he endured, he persevered, 
The world tells us take the easy path, but that gets us nowhere. The easy path is a deception and a lie. You will not achieve God's purposes in your life by following the path of least resistance. Nor did Jesus. Jesus was probably the most gritty person who ever lived. He went and faced adversity, took upon himself all of the past sin, all of the present sin, and all the sin that there ever would be, and all of God's wrath for it. Jesus was a warrior. Jesus had no need of repentance but he identified with our sin. Jesus was a rebuilder, and even more than that, he's a redeemer who builds back what's been broken. And the first step in this for us is to realize you cannot be perfect, but you can be being perfected. And that happens when we embrace grace, when we embrace truth, and when we embrace the one who is full of grace and truth, Jesus. The message today for you men is not to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, it's to fall on your knees. Because that is where the weak are made strong. That is where we find the ability to be vulnerable, to find repentance. It is in His strength in His grace, in Him doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that those unbridled appetites are restrained. The Bible says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's in Him that we find the strength to rebuild. It's in Him that we find the grittiness, grit, and perseverance is a manifestation of God's grace working in us. It's where we become leaders and we lead with a servant heart, not abusing authority, but accepting responsibility as a shepherd because the good shepherd, Jesus, has modeled that for us. We don't reject accountability because we're not afraid of vulnerability. We're not afraid now to have people speak into our lives because we admit the imperfection. We allow others to point us to Jesus. We allow God's word to correct and rebuke and teach and train the way it's supposed to. And within community and with God's spirit and through the direction of his word, he begins to produce in us and through us what we cannot do. We quit avoiding the adversity, but we embrace it. For us today again, 
This message isn't to get it for you to get it together. This message is for you to admit I don't have it together. To drop the facade and come to a place again where you're not trying to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, but you're falling on your knees. Bible says that pride goes before destruction. How much longer, men, are we going to live in our pride while the things around us are destroyed? And when will we be willing to become vulnerable so that God can raise us up? When will we humble ourselves before God and allow Him to do what only He can do? When will we be secure enough in who we are in Christ that we don't have to exalt ourselves above others? When will we realize that our value is so secure that we can actually value others above ourselves? You can't do it. You are not perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But the fulfillment of God's design in our life happens when we are willing to admit that. And guys, for me, this is a very pertinent message for, for me right now. There are things I'm wrestling with. There are fears that want to consume me. There are pressures that I feel that feel that though they could crush me but the last song we sang the goodness of God it said all my life you have been faithful and he'll continue to be but it doesn't make it easy It's in realizing that I can't do it. That I find strength. It's when I quit trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps and hit my knees. That I find the ability to do what God has called me to do to persevere and by his grace to finish well and I want to pray for us ladies you too I want to pray that today would be the day that we find strength in humility and vulnerability that we would come to a place of hitting our knees in fact, if you want to come for prayer, guys, come and, come and let us pray for you. If there's something going on in your life, it could be guilt or shame or condemnation. You may be struggling with 
some type of unbridled appetite. Whatever it is, pushing it deeper is not going to make it go away. Healing comes when we bring it into the light. And God is faithful and true that when we confess our sins before God and man, that he is willing to heal us, to cleanse us from all sin and make us right. So if you need prayer today, I would invite you to take a bold step and come for prayer as I pray for you. Lord, I thank you for your heart for us and the grace you give us. Lord, we know we're not perfect, but our imperfections don't define us, Lord. You do. God, I pray that your grace would teach us to say no to ungodliness. I pray today that we would embrace grace allow your ability to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. I pray, God, that we would embrace your truth to define who a man is and who we are, whose we are, and not listen to the world's jargon. But I pray right now that we would embrace the one who's full of grace and truth. And that his life would infuse us. Lord, we know that it is in humility that we find strength. It's in admitting our weakness that we're made strong. God, I pray that even if we're not physically on our knees, that the posture of our heart would be surrender. That it would be surrender. We love you, Lord. We praise your name and we are thankful the work of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, while we're praying up here, you, you're dismissed. I hope, guys, that we would be able to take this and embrace grace and truth and the one who's full of grace and truth and let him be the one who gives us the ability to live the life that he's called us to live. God bless you.